1: Good afternoon listeners, this is the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools and we're here every Saturday at 12 noon to defend and to promote public education. Now that's education that's public in purpose and outcome. Above all it is public in access, it's available to all children, whatever their background or their parental income or their parental, political or religious affiliation. As well as that, they should be, our schools should all be publicly owned and maintained, which they are not. We're now looking at private-public partnerships and I want to say something more about that later. And they should, of course, be the only ones that are publicly funded because they're the only ones that can possibly be publicly accountable. You privatise a school and it's almost impossible to find out what is really going on with public money once it gets into the cotton-picking fingers, particularly of religious organisations. Uh, Our governments should be providing a first-rate public education for every child in this country, and we know that this is no longer the case. It seems that our representative so-called politicians cannot... uh, even envisage being responsible anymore. And yet, why should one pay tax if one cannot be sure that it is going to be used for the common rather than the private good? Well, of course, we all know that the big multinationals uh, think that they shouldn't pay any tax for other people anyway. And uh, it would be very interesting to know just how much our own Prime Minister has in the Cayman Islands and how much tax he hasn't been paying for many years. But uh, we won't get on to tax today. We're going to get on to the expenditure of our taxes. And the dogs have a website at www.adogs.info and we try to put up a press release every week and we try to read out this press release to you every week. Now, this week I've got a problem. I've got the beginning of a press release to discuss with you, but I haven't finished it because I can't find the material to do the research that will give me the figures that I want. But this is the beginning. It is the press release 654. Victorian Education Budget. A Movable Feast of Figures how much is public education worth to the victorian government really the age of april the 27th claims that the 2016 victorian government funding budget provides 1.1 million for education yet the australian that's the fairfax um Stable. The Australian, Mr Murdoch Stable, of april the twenty eighth, that's the next day, mentions a figure of nine hundred and twenty four million. And the treasurer himself, on a website that I actually found, which has got has said says it's www.budget.victoria.gov.au Priority Education State. So Mr Pallas says Using funding allocated last budget, we are investing $747 million from the start of the 2016 year. The start of the 2016 year, but how long does it go for? To provide additional support to schools, students, principals and teachers. And the government will make further announcements about additional investment for the 2017 school year. So... Um, It seems as if the figures are getting more and more rubbery all the time. And then we heard that the government's actually got an extraordinary um, surplus. Let's hear what the Victorian Age website has got to say about this wonderful surplus.
2: The Victorian Government is set to hand down a record surplus in Wednesday's state budget. Brendan Donohue is live outside State Parliament with the exclusive details this evening. And Brendan, how much extra cash does Daniel Andrews have to spend? Well, Peter, the Andrews government is literally rolling in cash tonight, mostly because of runaway stamp duty on property sales and increasing payroll tax. I can reveal that in Wednesday's state budget, the Treasurer, Tim Pallas will forecast a cash bonanza for Victoria, where the surplus in this financial year was $1.9 billion. Next year's surplus is forecast at $2.9 billion. And over the next four years, the government is forecasting successive budget surplus to hit more than nine billion dollars. Now that frees up a lot of money for major projects such as the Melbourne Metropolitan Underground, especially if the federal government doesn't come to the party with its funds. It's unclear though whether employers will get their way. They've been calling for some relief in terms of payroll tax and there's also speculation that there may be some sort of relief for first home buyers. But the bottom line is Victoria is destined to keep its AAA credit rating and the government is destined to continue to collect more taxes than it spends.
1: Well, there you have it. Um, There's some good things come out of rising house prices. Uh, Certainly not good things for the next generation, but um, certainly good things for the state government's coffers and uh, investors. But um, just where... What does this nine, nine million actually mean? Is it just this year or is it a number of years? It's all very, very, uh, well, a movable feast. That's what I think of figures. Now, I've got some explanation for the $1.1 billion. Because the Treasurer on his website said that he had talked to thousands of Victorian teachers, principals, parents, carers and students who've told us that our schools are good and the system isn't broken but more work needs to be done and we must take our schools from good to great and we must support the children who need help. We're continuing to make the case to the Commonwealth Government, he says, to honour its commitment to fully fund the Gonski Agreement. Well, it looks as if Mr. Pallas can uh, go ahead and implement Gonski uh, for the full year, full full years, um, six years, whatever it is. Uh, the extra two years anyway down here in Victoria on his own, uh, so let's do it. But uh, if the Commonwealth Government doesn't honour the final two years, he says, of this education funding agreement, Victorian schools, government schools, will be $1.1 billion worse off. So I think that's where the age must have somehow got mixed up and got its $1.1 billion. Well, let's hope that uh, he does put the one point one billion in, uh, because he's got it. He's got it uh, in his uh, excess, in his own coffers, or he says he has. Now, Channel Nine News, which we've just heard, uh, provided more details about all of this. It looks as if a large amount of this money is going to be spent on buildings, and it's certainly not before time because ageing and outdated classrooms and school buildings will be upgraded in Victoria's largest single investment in school infrastructure. And we're told that a $1.1 billion education package is in the 216 2017 state budget. So some of this money must be coming into the 2017 uh, year. Financial year, and it says it will ensure all Victorian children can meet their potential. Uh, So they are also saying that Mr. Molino's own Monbulk electorate has missed out on new funding, but the budget is going to provide 40. $48.3 8.3 million to roll out a doctors in secondary schools program to give students access to health care. So that should really not be in the education, but in the health budget, shouldn't it? So uh, we could perhaps uh, deduct $48.3 million from education. Uh, Argonski funding levels will be met until 2017, but funding for 2018 and 2019 is uncertain because of the federal government's failure to commit. Well, we all know about that. And the teacher unions uh, seem to be obsessed with that, which is a good thing. I'm not... uh, I'm not necessarily against certain obsessions. The dogs have been obsessed about public education for 40 or 50 years and our obsession's not going to go away, I can assure you. Now, what is in the education package? I've been trying to find this and I have to say that the um, Channel 9 people have got further than I have when I look at the budget papers that I've been able to find on the internet. But they tell us that $287 million is going to be used to acquire land to build or complete 23 new schools. So finally, the Victorian government realises that there is a baby boom and there are large numbers of students who are going to hit the system and they are already there and they are going to need schools. I suspect, in fact, they need a large number of of schools and more than 23. 92 million is going to be used to establish, listen to this, 10 technical schools at TAFEs and universities across the state. So finally, finally, we're going to go back and realise what Victoria had that it lost after the Blackburn report of the 1980s. Blackburn has been uh, magnified and, and uh, everybody has said what a wonderful educator she was. Well, she wasn't very good for Victoria because she got rid of our technical schools and large numbers of children have not been skilled as they were in previous generations. So we're going to get 10 of these and they're going to be attached to TAFEs and universities. million is going to be used to upgrade specialist schools in the poorest condition, including 10 million for students with a disability. So there are still some special schools out there, particularly the developmental schools, and they have been allowed by previous governments to fall into grave disrepair. And those developmental schools were built just after the Second World War when there was a measles epidemic and a large number of disabled children came into the system and the parents at that time fought very, very hard to get those developmental schools. So they are still fighting and finally they have got some kind of a reward. Uh, They're also going to have... 63.3 million for relocatable classrooms. Now, listeners, for a long time, those within the bureaucracy who are in the building area but who, in fact, send their children to private schools have seen state education as not a permanent thing. I can tell you that Some church organisations have never accepted the state in education. They have always thought that education should be a church matter. And this is still going on. These people are still dealing with what they think or they consider should be relocatables, impermanent structures. If you go back to the beginning of the 20th century, you will find wonderful buildings which have been left to rot in our system. Go and have a look at some of them. Some of them have actually been given away, like our West Melbourne State School, which was given to the um, Salvos by Mr Kennett. These were proud buildings. They were there permanently. Proud buildings which made people in the local area, proud of their state schools. And in the last 50, 60 years, particularly since the giving of state aid to private schools, they don't have too many locatables unless they're just starting up. No, the relocatables are often almost permanent structures in our state schools, and some of them have been left to rot and children should never, in fact, be located in them at all. So uh, uh, that's what I have to say about the $63.3 million for relocatable classrooms. $50 million is going to be given to help schools become community hubs. And that's a very interesting one. Uh, once again, in the 80s and 90s, there was the idea that the school should belong to the community, and so it should. They pay for it. And the grounds that they pay for will be open, particularly on weekends. You can see this every weekend if you go up the north at the Reservoir High School. It is a community hub. So, 50 million is going to be uh, given to the schools to help them to become those community hubs. 28 million is going to be given to remove asbestos from school buildings. Well, isn't it disgraceful that asbestos was ever put in our school buildings in the first place? So I'm not sure that that should be in an education budget. That should perhaps be somewhere else. The $16 million is going to be given to grow community pride in schools and build new sporting facilities. So that really goes in with the community hub, and I think that that is very exciting, but it's not necessarily an education budget matter. $12 million is going to be given to plan upgrades at thirty five existing schools to accommodate growth and update old facilities. But it's extremely difficult, I've found, to obtain budget papers that are not festooned with mission statements and bits and pieces of statistics which don't quite add up. Uh, The what I've got so far, listeners, you might be interested in some of the words and some of the statistics. Um, you don't get those kind of figures that uh, Channel 9 have got and I'd be very interested to know where they found them or whether they were just handed them by um, by Mr Pallas because it's not in his ministerial portfolio on the Department of Education and Training. In the budget papers which are on his website, um, uh, on on the internet, uh, instead, I've got a ministerial portfolio folio with a departmental mission statement, um, and their vision. Uh, all all very good motherhood statements. I'm not going to disagree with them. And then we've got departmental objectives with indicators and outputs, and the outputs has got words, lots and lots of words, then a word called engagement with strategy review and regulation, early childhood development, school education, primary school education and so on. Lots and lots and lots of words here uh, and mission statements galore. Then we have another departmental objective which is well-being. I think at the University of Melbourne they actually have masters that are given in in a subject called wellbeing. I haven't quite worked it out yet. Then we have another word which is called productivity and we've got um, dollars per kindergarten student per year, dollars per primary school student per year and um, dollars per secondary school student per year. But I haven't yet found where these are. Then we've got an output summary Um, and uh, the budget, uh, budget figures for these, which look very interesting. That's the first time that I've actually looked at figures and I want to have a a much uh, more careful look at them before I tell you exactly what they mean. We here need a Ray Nielsen or a Trevor Cobalt, to tell us just what these figures mean because you've got comparisons. You've got comparisons 2.15 to 16 and 2.16 to 17. And you'll find that on strategy review and regulation, there's been a change of minus 6.1%, but on early childhood development, there has been an increase of 18.6%. So they appear to be very interested in percentages and uh, how well they're doing in this, in, in this area. But just exactly what all these figures really mean, um, I haven't yet worked out. Now, that might be my fault because I'm not a Ray Nielsen, I'm not a, a financial analyst, and I'm certainly not a Trevor Cobalt. But um, it's not immediately obvious, shall we say, to a layman like myself what is really going on in the Department of Education. And certainly these figures do not appear to include the enormous amounts of state aid to private schools, which Mr Pallas is giving us uh, through the Education Department. They represent 25% of whatever the cost is for a state school student and they get that on top of all of the enormous large use, the billions of dollars that Mr Turnbull is giving them from the centre. So that press release, dear listeners, has not been completed. There's still a lot of work to be done uh, understanding just exactly what the figures mean and I'll get back to you on that one next week. But meanwhile, it looks as if the government, at least in Victoria, is listening to the state school lobby groups and is under the understanding that, in fact, they are in on a state school vote and that if they don't deliver, they will be out on a state school vote. And perhaps it's time that Mr Birmingham and Mr Turnbull also got that very strong message now we'll have a bit of a break now for some music Well, there, we've been listening to David Kinsella on the organ. David is um, a state school boy from Young, actually, and um, he always spoke about how proud in Young they were of their state schools and uh, they are an example in New South Wales of proud, proud buildings. Now, I'd like to take us over to England. Why England, you say? this should be about Australia. Now the reason, dear listeners, I want us to have a look at England and the developments there is that there is talk there, and in fact there is action there, on the privatisation of their state school system through the imposition, and I mean that, imposition of academies on the English people by the Tory government. But The Tory government might be imposing them, but the idea for the academies came from the previous Labour government. So they're in it together because there's a lot of money wandering around the world looking to make money in things called service. We've lately been hearing an awful lot about the service industry and how this is going to save Australia because we have no longer the commodity boom. Uh, how on earth you can have a service industry in education uh, is, I think, a worry. The very fact that people think this way and accept those concepts, I think, is a concern to begin with, because education should be about opportunities for the next generation. You're not dealing with customers are you you're dealing with children and you're dealing with teachers and you're dealing with learning and you're dealing with our traditions and all of the things that we have inherited from our culture and all the many cultures that are now in Australia we're talking when we talk about education about our children learning to live together and they can really only do that in a public school which is open to every child. And we're talking also about the next generation getting the skills to enable them to survive in an ever more difficult world. But uh, to talk about this as an education industry, I find very worrying indeed. But as soon as you mention industry, of course, you start thinking about dollar signs, and profits. And there's a lot of money wandering around the world that can see that thing called profits in insecure parents who are prepared to work their butt off to give their children uh, an opportunity. And I think that's very, very sad indeed. So that's why I want us to go to England, because Mr Pine and Mr Birmingham have been talking about so-called independent public schools and academies here in Australia. And we've already got them in the Conservative government state of Perth. So let's have a look at what's happening in England. It's not all easy sailing for academies, although there's quite a few of them. They are similar to the charter schools of the United States, but a little bit different. And they are often run by trusts, but they can be run by companies as well. But uh, the people down further down the line, particularly parents who can't find the school of their choice for their children in their local area, are getting restive, and this going this restiveness is going all the way up the line into the Parliament. And there are what are known as Tory academy rebels in the government itself. So Mr Cameron and his Education Minister, Ms Morgan, are having problems with the backbench, just like Mr Turnbull's having a few problems with uh, his backbench. Now, if the government's going to push through its plans in England... To force all of the schools in England to become academies, it will need to persuade its own Conservative backbenchers, many of whom seem deeply unenthusiastic about this proposal. So Mr Cameron and Ms Morgan have a prospect of an embarrassing parliamentary defeat which will have focused the minds of Ministers on a compromise. So what do the unimpressed Tory MPs dislike about the academy plans. After all, they're still conservative MPs. And what will be the sticking points in negotiations with the ministers? Now, some of them have already highlighted some of their main areas of concern. First of all, the MPs are supporters of the achievements of academies and the principle of autonomy, which is really privatisation. But if there is already a high achieving school that doesn't want to become an academy, where's the justification in forcing such an unwanted change? And this, they argue, carries the risk of damaging rather than improving schools and it goes against the grain of school choice and parental involvement. <laughs> you said the problem is when you talk about parental choice, some parents end up more equal than others and have more choices than the others, whatever you do. Uh, Now, there's already legislation to turn so-called struggling schools into academies and successful schools can already choose to convert. So why would the government want to force good and outstanding schools against the wishes of heads and parents to change status? So these MPs aren't talking or really questioning the idea of academies. They are saying, let's use a carrot, not a stick. So that was on the 26th of April 2016, and that news came through on The Guardian. But um, by the next day, the Education Secretary, Nikki Morgan, wasn't going to listen to them. So she offered no concessions over controversial plans to force all of England's schools to become academies. She was pressed by the MPs on whether she was committed to pushing the plan forward as legislation and she just said, look, that's the government's position, even though these MPs were making a noise through an education select committee. So why would you set up committees or commissions of inquiry, one would wonder. So that's a captain's pick idea for Ms Melgan, I gather. Oh, sorry, her name is Mrs Morgan. She told the MPs that the changes to schools would create what she called a strong, consistent system. However, over on the Labor benches, Labour's Ian Mearns questioned how she could run a school system which could have 10,000 to 15,000 separate academy trusts. That's hardly a system, is it? If you've got autonomy, how can you have a system? And how can you, if you're going to fund them with public money, how on earth can you get accountability without some kind of central authority which demands accountability? But um, David Cameron said that he was committed to pushing ahead with the school plans. He said, I'm very clear, academies are great and academies for all is a good policy. There's been criticism from the conservative backbenchers, as we've noticed, and the education secretary has argued that a dual system with academy and local authority schools will be less efficient than a single compulsory model for running the country's schools. So you just leave all the country schools out there as autonomous beings that are run by trusts that can be taken over by international corporations and Bob's your uncle. What kind of a, an education system have you got? You've got one that's even worse than what they had in the 18th century. Well, she rejected the idea that schools should feel the acad- ac- that academy status was something to be inflicted. Uh, she said, I don't think it's a question of inflicting anything on anybody. Well, not everybody agrees with her, of course, because they're the ones uh, on which this is being inflicted. She was pressed by MPs on why school autonomy should not extend to allowing schools to decide whether or not they should become academies. And Labor's Ian Austin asked her for any evidence to show that a cannabis status was linked to school improvement because he knows, of course, that there's quite a lot of research which indicates that it's not. It's not linked to improvement in either England or with charter schools in America and in some cases it's the reverse. But there's now been very strong opposition to the all-academy plan from local government and this has prompted claims that the government might compromise by allowing local authorities to create their own academy trusts. But Mrs Morgan's had no support to this idea and uh, it's all really very much up in the air until, until the National Audit Office has said that the problem's Going to get worse with the expansion of academies. And what are the problems? The Department for Education has been severely reprimanded by the National Audit Office for failing to properly account for spendings by academies. So, what really is going on here? We have the idea of choice taking over, we have the idea of the market for education services in an education industry taking over from the idea that you have public spending which is accountable through a minister on education for all children in public schools. You have indeed the privatisation of education but the use of public money to fund these private education facilities in order that the ideology of choice, parental choice and the market economy and in the end making profits on our children's opportunities take over. And it just is common sense, it's logic, it's common sense that you can't have ministerial responsibility for public money and accountability for public money if you do this. And over in England, they've discovered this already with the National Audit Office. Here in Victoria, we've recently discovered it with our with our Audit Office here. They've discovered that the Catholic Education Commission here in Victoria just hasn't been spending the money as they've been told to spend the money. They don't see why they should. So how can you do this for thousands and thousands of autonomous schools? And that's what's happening, and that's what they're finding in, in England. Now, the Department for Education has just published its accounts for 2014-15, nine months after every other government department. And the National Audit Office says there's a level of misstatement and uncertainty that means the truth and the fairness of the accounts cannot be verified. The Department for Education says academies are subject to what they call a rigorous system of accountability. <laughs> well, words are not necessarily the truth. Of, uh, They're just not reality. Words are something else. Uh, while there's no suggestion that academies have misspent money, the National Audit Office report warns that the rapid expansion of the academies program in England has made it difficult to keep track of the spending and even the land that they're on. It also says that the situation is likely to get worse given the government's drive to turn all the schools in, in England into academies by 2020 or for them to have a plan to do so by 2022. And the report says the Department's policy of autonomy for academies brings with it significant risks if the financial capability of the Department and academies are not strengthened and the financial statements do not present a true and fair view and meet the accountability requirements of Parliament. And this is going to become even more significant in the context of the planned expansion of the academy sectors. And as well as that, the Department of Education is also criticised for not getting its accounts signed off in time. Well, who'd be a bureaucrat in the Department of Education in England at the moment when you're dealing with um, chaos and with irresponsible trusts that can pretty well do as they like so that parents middle class parents think that they might have a choice when their choices are becoming more and more limited and so are their bank balances and so are the opportunities of their children. So I think that Australia has got to really look very carefully at what is happening. Now it's all very well in England and it would be here in Australia also for the opposition, the Labor Party opposition, to complain that things are not good enough in the education area. But the problem is that in England, as in Australia, the Labor Party is part of the problem. They started the idea of the academies. And although the shadow education secretary, Lucy Powell, has said that the... um, audit report is a damning and very serious report which highlights both the opaque financial arrangements within some academy chains as well as the almost impossible job the Department for Education has set itself in trying to directly run thousands of schools from Whitehall. Uh, She just says all she can say is we're not responsible for this. All she can say is forcing all schools to become academies will make this situation even worse. And then she goes on to say, if this report was about a local authority, it would be rightly put in special measures and taken over. So England might eventually get back to uh, the late 19th century and find out what democratic education is really all about. If you spend money on a public education system or a system of education for the nation's children then if you're a responsible government dealing with billions and billions of dollars of taxpayers' money, and remember it's the ordinary people who are paying these taxes, not the big multinationals anymore, uh, then they have to actually realise why we should have them at all. Perhaps the time has come to privatise our politicians themselves. And I wonder what they'd have to say about that. Uh, And certainly we should privatise their, um, their pensions or they should be expected to have the same pensions as a pensioner when they leave Parliament instead of being on thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands with all the perks and jerks um, when they leave Parliament. But we'll have a little bit of a break now. Uh, we've been uh, been listening to my voice quite a lot, but hopefully next week or the week after you'll have Robert back. but We'll have a little bit more music.
3: we <laughs>
0: their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm
2: the proud product of a government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we
1: can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's still not good enough that kids with disability miss out our
3: education is not for profit Our education is not for profit
1: You're listening to The Dogs
4: The Defence of Government Schools On 3CR
1: This is the Dogs Program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and um, you've been listening to some rather nice music there. Um, That was Jeannie, Jeannie Kelso, uh, singing, and now I'd like to go back to England. Before the break, we had uh, a bit of talk about what is happening with the academies or the autonomous schools uh, in england these these are the model schools that uh, Mr Birmingham and Christopher Pine before him wished to impose upon the Australian system and have already done so in places like Western Australia. but um, they are actually uh, autonomous schools which can be privatised very easily and very often are privatised and run by. Trusts, which can in fact, in the end, become for profit, or can be religious trusts. So, um, I, in England, it's not all fair weather sailing for the academies. England has always been a bit different to Australia because, from the Middle Ages, they always had very strong local governments, and the local governments have traditionally been in charge of educational facilities. And uh, the one good thing about having in Australia state governments or regional governments and uh, or, or our local governments, which are not as powerful as they are in England, but certainly our state governments, which are, certainly having different levels of government mean that you can play one off against the other if you're in an issue. And in England, this is a very real issue. It's an issue that is worrying a lot of parents and teachers in England because the teachers are going to get caught in the middle of all of this and their pay scales are going to be up for grabs and they will not have uh, very much support anywhere they turn if they are dealing with for-profit academies. Uh, But the local governments are fighting back. And here we have some information for you on this.
0: I can see Sonny's work so hard. Ministers will be working even harder in the next few weeks, trying to overcome opposition to their academy plans. For the first time, county councils in England are all speaking out together. Most are Conservative-run, but say these government plans could make things worse.
5: I think that most county councils across this country deliver exceedingly good support services and value to money uh, to uh, their schools. And I have grave concern uh, that what will replace uh, local government's role uh, will not be of the same standard and quality.
0: At this Devon primary, it's a different story. It's part of one of the largest multi-academy trusts. In the space of just a few years this school has gone from being in special measures to being rated as good since it became an academy. Of course a lot of that is about what happens in the classroom, about good teaching. The debate now is about whether making all state schools academies is really the way to drive up standards. The boss of this chain of schools isn't sure, but then he's unusual paid much less than others doing the same job. He thinks academies are a chance for teachers to try new ideas.
2: They are now being creative. Why don't we try this? Why don't we try that? And, and, so I'm I'm excited about what I don't know about the future, about the the fact that we've unlocked potential rather than we are delivering a a preconceived model.
0: But now 15,000 schools could be forced to become academies, He's worried about so much change so quickly.
2: The problem is, do we have the capacity to be creative at that speed? Firstly, it's not a preconceived perfect model. The evidence is still out. The jury's out on what works and what doesn't within academisation.
0: So, can the education secretary persuade her critics? It all adds up. That's your thing? <laughs> This week, she'll face questions from MPs. Nikki Morgan says the end result will be greater freedom for schools, a system that will step in faster where there's failure. Forcing the pace of change in schools has proved a tougher idea to sell than ministers expected. Brownwin Jeffries, BBC News.
1: Well, that report, of course, was a this way, that way, as you expect from journalists who are trying to have two bob each way and keep their jobs. But the plain fact of the matter is that there's a lot of research that indicates that academies don't necessarily do a better job and there's also a lot of research that indicates that parents and others are very concerned about what is really going on and that there's a large number of middle-class parents who cannot get the, quote, school of their choice under this um, chaos that is being created by the Tory government. But dogs would argue that that is inevitable. You're going to get chaos if you privatise your education system because privatisation means that the majority suffer and the minority might do okay but the nation suffers altogether as a result now this is what is happening in australia at the moment it has been happening since the la- in the last 40 years since we decentralized and we gave public money to private religious multinational institutions and the naplan report that is now out, has shown very little progress in reducing the enormous inequities in education in Australia. England has always had inequities. England always was, and still is, a class-based system. It, um, It reeks still of class. We all know that. In Australia, we tried to get away from it. Unfortunately, our Tory government here is trying to take us back. Into the English way of doing things, where there is an upper class, there's a bourgeoisie, and then there's the rest of us. So I'm going to get Dale to read this report from the Save Our Schools on NAPLAN and how it shows very little progress in reducing inequity in education in Australia. Thanks,
4: Team. I've got a report here entitled Fighting for Equity in Education. NAPLAN reports show little progress in reducing inequity in education. Uh, This is a summary of a a new SOS research brief. The full version can be downloaded online. Okay. The national report of the NAPLAN results for 2015 published last December show continuing large inequities in education in Australia – Large proportions of disadvantaged students are not achieving national standards in literacy and numeracy and there are large achievement gaps between disadvantaged and advantaged students, most of which have not changed since 2008 and some have increased. Large proportions of disadvantaged students are below national standards. Students from Low Education Families, LES, are nine times more likely than students from High Education Status Families, HES, to not achieve the Year 5 National Reading Standard and seven times more likely to not achieve the Writing and Numeracy Standards. 18% of Year 5 students from LES families did not achieve the Reading Standard. 20% did not achieve the writing standard and 14% did not achieve the numeracy standard compared with 2 or 3% of students from HES families. Students from LES families are nine times more likely than students from HES families not to achieve the Year 9 national reading standard, five times more likely not to achieve the writing standard and 11 times more likely not to achieve the numeracy standard. 18% of Year 9 LES students did not achieve the National Reading Standard, 39% did not achieve the Writing Standard, 11% did not achieve the Numeracy Standard, compared to the 1 or 2% of HES students in Reading and Numeracy and 8% for Writing. Now, Indigenous Year 5 students are 13 times more likely not to achieve the Reading Standard, 11 times more likely not to to achieve the writing standard and 10 more times likely to not achieve the numeracy standard than students from HES families. 26% of year five Indigenous students did not achieve the reading standard. 32% did not achieve the writing standard and 21% did not achieve the numeracy standard. Indigenous Year 9 students are 14 times more likely to not achieve the reading standard, seven times more likely to not achieve the writing standard, and 17 more times more likely to not achieve the numeracy standard than students from HES families. 28% of Year 9 Indigenous students did not achieve the reading standard, 54% Did not achieve the writing standard and 17% did not achieve the numeracy standard. Massive proportions of students from LES families, Indigenous students and remote area students did not achieve the year nine writing standard. 39, 54 and 38% respectively. There were... There was a small reduction in the proportion of LES students below the Year 5 reading and numeracy standards since 2008, but the proportion below the writing standard increased since 2011. There were significant increases in the proportion below the Year 9 reading and writing standards. There was a large increase in the proportion of Indigenous students below the Year 9 writing standard since 2011. NAPLAN scores for disadvantaged students have mostly not improved. Average reading, writing and numeracy scores for students from LES families at all year levels have not improved since 2008 or 2009. There were large declines of up to a year or more of learning in writing results for LES Indigenous and remote area secondary students since 2011. Large achievement gaps have mostly not reduced. Year 5 LES and remote area students are about two years behind the HES students in reading, writing and numeracy. By Year 9, LES students are four years behind in writing, reading and numeracy and remote area students are three and a half times behind. Year 5 Indigenous students are about three years behind HES students in reading and nearly three years behind in writing and numeracy. Year 9 Indigenous students are about five years behind in reading and numeracy and six years behind in writing. Year 9 LES students are achieving at about the same level as Year 5 HES students in reading and writing and only slightly above in numeracy. Year 9 Indigenous students are achieving below Year 5 HES students in reading and writing and about the same as Year 5 students in numeracy. The achievement gap between the HES and LES students increased significantly in reading and numeracy in Year 5 and in Year 9, reading since 2008. There was little change in the achievement gaps between the HES students and Indigenous and remote students. Few significant improvements there were, a few, there were few significant improvements in results. Most notable were the percentage of Indigenous students below the Year 5 reading and numeracy standards fell by 10 and 9 percentage points respectively between 2008 and 2015, while the percentage below the Year 9 numeracy standard fell by 10 points. A significant increase in average reading scores for Indigenous primary school students since 2008 and in Year 9 numeracy since 2013. A significant increase in the average reading score for Year 3 remote students since 2008 and in Year 9 since 2013. Inadequate funding for disadvantaged students. A primary factor behind the lack of progress in reducing inequity in education outcomes is the failure of government funding policies over the past decade. Government funding, Commonwealth and State and Territory increases have favoured private schools for the past 15 years who enrol only a small proportion of disadvantaged students. Government funding per private school student increased by over double that for public schools between 1999 and 2000 and 2013 and 2014, 39% compared to 17%. The average annual increase for private schools was 2.2% compared with only 1.0% in public schools yet public schools enrol over 80% of LES Indigenous and remote area students. Equity in education will only improve by better directing of government funding increases to disadvantaged students.
1: Yes, well, the SOS people are finally getting to realise that privatisation of education is a disaster for a nation that wants to educate its children. And uh, I'd like to note that uh, although we're all very happy with the fact that Mr Uh, uh, Andrews is spending money on public education in our schools, most of it's actually being spent on buildings that have been allowed to rot. It's not going to be spent on disadvantaged children per se. So there's a long way to go and uh, we'll be here next week and hopefully I'll have got around a few figures for you. So... That's it for now. Bye for now.
5: I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you are ten years dead I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says, I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I. 是